Um, hey, grab your Bibles. You can use your iPhones. Go over to uh, the Bible app. We're going to be jumping into Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. There's two things that we think are just essential if you're going to be a part of this community. Two things that we really think, if we're doing these, these two things, we're doing really, really well. And one of them is, we are learning to hear from the Lord for ourselves. We think it's just baseline, foundational, that every single follower of Jesus knows and is able to experience God's nudging, God's voice in their life. And we want to be a community that banks our life on being able to hear and discern God's voice in our life. And the second part of that is, we want to be people that are biblically literate. We want to be raising the bar of understanding God's story. Because the truth is, you know this, there are lots of stories out there that are competing for your heart's uh, affection and your mind's attention. And we want to be people that are dialed into knowing God's story. And so as we jump into God's story this morning, I just want to give you a little refresher if you're back joining us for the first time uh, or you're new to the community. So we are in Hebrews, and Hebrews is a uh, not actually a letter. It is a sermon that would have been circulated <coughs> to all the many synagogues in the region. And it was written to primarily a Jewish audience. And see, what had happened was the Jewish people had this experience where God was working just kind of right here in our midst and kind of, he, he's, he's right here and we know what he's doing and he's working in the family, but somehow God got loose and he started to work over there and outside of the box and the paradigm began to shift for them. And what was beginning to happen is suddenly you found these early uh, Jewish people that were saying yes to Jesus, suddenly their expectations were not being met anymore. And life got really hard for them because they said yes to Jesus. And they started asking the question, can't we just go back to the way it used to be? <laughs> because at least then I knew what to expect and there was a system in place rather than a relationship to enjoy, right? Right? Does that hit home for any of us this morning? Like, God has called us to the story, and we want to play it safe. And that's what was happening uh, in the book of Hebrews. And over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews, the common line that keeps coming up is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any amount of uncomfort. Jesus is better than any insecurities. Jesus is better than any type of friction that is going to come against you. Jesus is just better. Saying all that, last week I got to play hooky and I got to go down, uh, me and my, one of my disciple-making groups got to go fishing down uh, in the land cut this last week and we had a ball. We caught more fish than we knew what to do with and we had a blast and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, I don't know if you were here last week, but Stephen Mackey killed it last week with his message. One of the best messages that I've ever think I've heard him preach before. And it is such a privilege for me to be able to get away and know that the preaching level goes up. He just did an unbelievable job. And so I have been, I got to watch, I was driving back in town and I was so excited to come this morning and to share because Stephen Mackey did a beautiful job of just setting it up for us this morning, talking about how the Older Testament, the Old Covenant, was a foreshadow, the forerunner of what was to come. Now, we did this two weeks ago when, uh, when I would last got to teach, but I want you to do this. Do this. Everybody do this. Now do this. 
you just put your thinking cap on. So we're going to go for it this morning. We got a lot of ground to cover and uh, not a whole lot of time to get there, but you're going to have to dive in and you're going to have to do some thinking this morning. And at the end, you're going to see, as we said a couple weeks ago, this is spectacular. All right. So today I'm going to go through the whole Bible story and we're going to set it up with, uh, Pappy, can you keep it down? Uh, so we're going to, uh, so we're going to go through the whole Bible story with four words. Four words are going to tell the whole story of where the presence of, I love Pappy Jack. It's so fun to see him this morning. He is one of my all-time favorites, and it's so fun to have him back this morning. Um, so I'm going to tell you the whole gospel, or the whole narrative of the Bible in four words. Are you ready? And this is primarily going to be about where the presence of God rests, or how the people understood the presence of God. And these are the four words. God with, God ahead, God among, and God in. All right? So that's going to be the whole story of what God is up to with four words about describing the presence of God with. In Genesis, how the story opens up is God is in the garden with his creation, with Adam and Eve, and it's described as God walking in the cool of the evening with his creation. So where is the presence of God kind of known and experienced? God is with his creation. And then what happens is, as you know, the, the familiar story, Adam and Eve choose to say thanks, but no thank, we got it, and they choose to go their own way, and sin enters into the picture, and really God goes on a rescue mission to go out and to redeem his creation. And so you move forward just a little bit in the story, and you bump into the story of Moses and uh, Pharaoh, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, as you've seen, or you, you've seen the movie, or you know the story, and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh does, goes across the Red Sea, sea closes, uh, and by, from that point on, Moses is guided through the desert by a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. And God, the presence of God is experienced, it's understood as primarily ahead of them, as the presence of God leading them as a uh, bride in, would lead a groom where they are wandering through the desert as God is leading them. So God's presence is ahead of them. Now, where our story picks up this morning, the understanding, the context for the book of Hebrews is not God with, not God ahead, but God among. Among his creation with, this is the picture, the tabernacle. This is a picture of the tabernacle right here. And this, if you fast forward in the story just a little bit more, you see that God tells people to build a tabernacle and he will dwell among them. So God is not with them. He's not ahead of them, but he wants to make his home right smack dab in the middle of them and dwell among him. And as you will see, as we get to the end of the message today, that that was not even good enough for God. There's something even better, which the Hebrew, the, the original recipients of the Hebrew letter could not have imagined something better than God with us. But the story actually takes a crazy turn and get, offers us something better. That what is better than God among us? God in us. And that's where we're going to be going this morning. So now you know the context of where Hebrews is going to take us. But when we jump into the text, remember, written to Jewish audience, that their primary understanding of how God's presence relates to them is through the tabernacle. That God is not in them, 
but God is among them, all right? We're going to see how that makes a distinction here just in a second. So turn with me, grab your Bible apps. We're going to be in Hebrews. We've got a lot of scripture to read this morning, so let's get after it. Hebrews 9, <coughs> starting in verse 1. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In the first room was a lampstand, underline it. We're going to come back to that. And there was a table with a consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, so they were very creative with names, which had the golden altar of incense and a golden covered ark of the covenant. The ark contained a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded in the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, underline that, we're going to come back to it. It's beautiful, and you're, it's going to be really important. Overshadowing the atonement seat. But we cannot discuss these things in detail right now. So the author is really funny. He's like, listen, it's just too much, so we're not going to go into details about that. But that's the story. So this is the picture of what the tabernacle possibly probably looked like on the inside. And you can see kind of those elements that the different, uh, that the author of Hebrews described, where you have the atonement seat, the, uh, the menorah, the light, the, the bread over here, the altar of incense. Those are all of the pieces that would have been found in the tabernacle. Now hang with me because we're going to be going somewhere. So hang in there. <clears throat> now, starting in verse six, when everything had been arranged, the priest entered there regularly into the outer room to carry on the ministry. But only the high priest could enter the inner room, and that was only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of all the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle has been was still functioning. This is an illustration for right now, for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifice being offered, please underline this part, circle it, highlight it, were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and of drink and various ceremonial washings External regulations applying until the time of the new order. So what is the author of Hebrews saying about the tabernacle? That when you blew it, when I blew it, when sin entered into our wife, uh, our wife, when sin entered to this, into our life, they lived in this perpetual state of having to go to the temple and make a sacrifice, and then they would blow it, and they'd make a sacrifice and blow it, and make a sacrifice and they'd blow it, and they, was, they were always living in this endless cycle of, blood being spilled. Because you remember what we talked about in a couple weeks ago, if you've been with us, that the first picture of, of blood covering our guilt was found in the garden as well. When God, uh, uh, Adam and Eve are naked and God takes the skin of animals and covers them and has to take the life of the innocent to cover the sin. And that's what's going on in here is that time and time again, every time sin entered the picture, a sacrifice had to be made. But look at what it says in verse 9 and 10. Hang with me because this is important. Look at what it said. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy had not been disclosed yet. As the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is just a picture. It's an illustration for right now. Indicating that the gifts of sacrificing could not clear the conscience. It could not 
clear the conscience of the worshiper. Meaning over and over and over and over again. No matter how many times they offered a sacrifice, it could never get to the root of the issue. You might even be bold enough to say that it was an interest-only payment. It never got to the principle, the balance. But it did do its job in that it covered, it just never got to the root of it. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's the picture. That is a lot of information. That is a lot of information. And information is not the point. Please, we need to be reminded that transformation is always the point. And so I want to give you a picture of what that actually looks like. And uh, actually, I'm going to take this right over here so that we can see it good. All right. So if this was the tabernacle, if this table represented the tabernacle, what would happen when somebody sinned is they would bring their sin. Anybody go trick-or-treating last night? (laughs) I did. I stole it from my kids. I had to pry it out of their hands. And particularly if you're over 40, this is definitely a sin. Because it goes right to you pretty quick. So let's pretend that when you blew it or you sinned, you would come and you would lay your sin at the altar. And the job of the priest at that point was to take the blood of an animal and was to cover up, to cover up your sin. Now, question for you. I don't know if you can see this. But is the sin still there? Yeah. Can you see it still? Can you see its effects still? Yes. Is it covered up? You better believe it is. But the effects of it are somehow still there. Do you know what we call this? We call this forgiveness. Forgiveness is a covering up of our sin. Now, how many of us would say, that's a really good thing? (laughs) I want to be forgiven. I want all of my junk to be covered up. That is a beautiful picture. But remember, the uh, tabernacle was served as a interest-only payment. It never really got to the root of the issue. It just mostly covered it up. Now, let's make it personal. How many of us live with this understanding? When it comes to our maybe following Jesus, we understand that the thing is really about forgiveness. Like I'm a forgiven person. God is so good and so kind, he forgave me. And he covered my sin, he covered my shame. And it's true. But do you know what is scandalous about the gospel message? It doesn't stop there. There's something, brothers and sisters, even better than forgiveness. Because it's an interest-only payment. Now, I want us to dive in and to dig in just a little bit more and watch how the story or the picture begins to transform with uh, the new covenant of what Jesus offers. Let's look at verse 11. Now, look at what it says. But, that is a huge but right there. (laughs) You can laugh, it's funny. But that is a huge but right there. That but right there changes the whole story. And I want you to watch and see how the story gets. Whoa, my goodness, can you believe that just happened? Watch how that but right there changes the whole story. But when Christ came as a high priest, 
of the good things that are now already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That's to say, it's not part of the creation. He did not enter by the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place, how many times? Not day after day, once and for all. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or bulls or heifers, but with his own blood. Thus obtaining, circle it, underline it, it's the point of the story. Eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes and ashes of heifers sprinkled on those ceremonially unclean uh, sanctify them so that they are an outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered him as an unblemished to God cleanse us from our clear conscience that leads to death so that we can serve the living God? Now remember this. This is huge. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a, the Older Testament is a foreshadow of what is to come. So say this after me. This is that. This is that. Okay. So here's the picture. This is actually pointing to something out there. This is actually pointing to that. That this is pointing to Jesus. And I want you to see it. That this was a shadow, a forerunner of what we find where our hope ultimately lands in Jesus Christ. That this is that. Next slide. What do we see in the tabernacle? We see a menorah, a light. This is pointing to that. What does Jesus call himself? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life living inside of him. This is that. Keep going. What else do you find in the tabernacle? The bread. What does Jesus call himself? He is the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never be hungry again. Do you see it? This is pointing to that. Keep going. You have the, uh, the mercy seat, the altar where the sacrifices would have been made. And you know this one. You just probably don't know you know this one already. Do you remember the story after uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the women go to the tomb? And there's a funny little phrase in there that you probably didn't even know what it was pointing to. But you know what you're going to know this morning. And it's beautiful. Look at what it says. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and one other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus was laying. What is the picture of? This is that. That's the place where the mercy seat, the offering, the atonement, the sacrifice, and this is actually pointing to that. Friends, did you know that Jesus was not God's backup plan? <laughs> It was not plan B, like, you pesky little kids, here he comes. Here, I'm going to bring him down there because to, to fix the wrong, the rights. This has always been about that. The destination has always been God inside of us. So, if that is the picture, if this is actually pointing to that, if that is actually pointing to Jesus, then how does this paradigm right here 
get flipped right side up. And I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. <clears throat> there is a key phrase in here that I, I wanted you to highlight that I hope you underline. And it's found in verse 12. Look at what it says. He did not enter by the means of blood and goats but of, and calves, but he entered the most high and holy place once and for all with his own blood, now, e <clears throat> now obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashers of heifers sprinkled on those ceremonially unclean could only sanctify them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more than the blood of Christ, who we through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Here's the key. Cleanse our consciousness so that we are now free to serve him. Here's how the paradigm shifts. Did you know that there's a difference between forgiveness and redemption? There's a massive chasm between forgiveness and redemption. And most of us don't take the gospel far enough or let it work its way down deep inside of us enough. We stop at, I'm just forgiven. And there's more. This is where the scandal of the gospel comes into play. Now, do you see it still? Do you see the sin is still there, but it's covered up? Let me show you the new covenant, what Jesus offers, the whole thing gets right-sided up. This is the powerful work that Jesus' blood accomplished for all time. Right? He swallows sin and death once for all. And now what is left? Nothing. It used to be, brothers and sisters, it used to be that you could be forgiven. But it was still covered up. But now that Christ comes and offers us a more perfect covenant, he swallows sin and death so that there is nothing left and that the only thing that is left is the blood of Jesus on your life. That sin is no longer the issue because it has forever been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Why? So that you can have a clear conscience. Forgiveness doesn't take it far enough, friends. Forgiveness means that it's just covered up. And the Lord paid for something so much more than that for you in your life. He, pay, he paid for your redemption. To restore back to you original value, original identity. So that now if there's anything that ever comes against you, the only thing you say is, it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives inside of me. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing left in my life. And the truth is, many of us walk around with an old covenant understanding or an old covenant experience of the presence of God. Where that God, as the author of Hebrews is arguing, is not among us anymore. Like, among us is this system right here where it's just covered up, but it's not really dealt with as an interest-only payment. 
And Jesus comes along and he flips the script and it gets swallowed up once and for all so that you become redeemed. Now, let's make this a little personal as we begin to wrap it up this morning. Do you walk around with a clear conscience? Because that was the offer. That's God's intent. That you and I actually walk around with a clear conscience. And we have a clear conscience because we're not going time and again and again and again. We are banking on once for all, for all time. There ain't nothing left. I have been redeemed. And friends, if you walk around, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you walk around feeling like you don't measure up, like this perpetual cloud of guilt is hanging over you, like you're never going to be good enough, if they only found out that part of my life, or, man, I can't believe I did those things, then you don't understand what Christ has paid for. Christ has not paid just for your forgiveness, the covering, but he has paid for your redemption, uh, the restoring, the blood covering your life. And the danger of living as only a forgiven person, do you know what happens? Okay, it's going to be painful, so hang in there. But if we live just as a forgiven person, what we typically do is we treat every relationship this way. Where you may walk around and you may have forgiven the people in your life, but that thing is still there. And there's going to be weirdness between the two of you guys. There may be awkwardness. You may have forgiven them, but there's been no redemption. And how many friendships, how many business parts, how many uh, marriages have been destroyed because we don't allow the redemptive work of Christ to take root in our life. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about redemption, about God f- restoring back to original, to restoring your original value. So this morning we get to do something spectacular because too many of us live... with a among us mentality. And God has not ultimately given his life for you to settle for among us. God has invited you to even more. He's invited you to in. In. Because he has given, not by the blood of bulls or heifers or calves, but by the blood of his own son, uh, own son, as he covered us and redeemed us, restored us, brought us back into right relationship. And that is an offer, friends, for you this morning. This morning, we get to tangibly and practically experience this. Where Jesus, before his death, comes and makes it for real offer for you, for me. as a new covenant, as a picture of this changed relationship. Because this has always been about that. Look at this last picture. This is the way 
the tabernacle would have been set up. Do you see it? This has always been pointing to that. And this is what you get to experience this morning. Where Jesus says, come, all of me, for all of you, for all time.